let me uh, let me tell you what's what's been happening previously on Luke um, in the in chapter five, chapter four and five. I guess we had. The outcasts are in this concept that it's the people on the fringes and on the edges who are overlooked by everyone else. And Jesus starts grabbing those people and pulling them in. He pulls in the, the sick, the demon possessed, uh, delivered the demon possessed before pulling them in. Uh, the leper, the paralytic, the tax collector, all the outcasts are being brought in to team Jesus. And then at the end of chapter 5, he talks about new wine and says that what he is doing cannot be squeezed into the old wine of religion, in particular the old wine of Judaism. A new thing has come and the old is going to have to make way for the new that has come. And what we've got in in weaving throughout chapter 5 in particular and coming to a head now in chapter 6 is a group of people in the background who are causing a bit of conflict. Uh, These are the Pharisees. They have featured in the last few sermons on Luke. That's not me forcing it. That's what's there. We're going through all of Luke's gospel. It's going to take a long time. We've actually, it's nearly a year since we started and we're no rush because I have the simple philosophy of, of just obsessing over Jesus and constantly drawing people to Jesus. I have the simple idea that in the Gospels, throughout Scripture, of course, but in the Gospels, every single nugget, every little interchange, every event, there's gold in it. Sometimes it takes a bit longer than others to find it, but there's, there's gold So we're focusing in on Jesus, and if the Pharisees and the theme of religion keeps popping up, that's because it keeps popping up in Luke's gospel whenever he writes it. So these guys have been lurking around in the background, and you have to understand about these Pharisees that they were not nasty people. I think they've got a bad rep in the church that they were just nasty going around trying to be awkward. Like the Pharisees had an annual conference Every year they met in a big hotel somewhere and figured out new ways to make people's lives miserable. They did not do that. They were not just downright nasty little characters. They were sincere. And they were sincere about keeping God's law to the point that they added a whole lot more stuff to it. It is possible to be sincere. And it is possible to even love God but still to miss a lot of what Jesus is doing. And that's the way it was about these these Pharisees. And the issues that we're going to look at today are to do with the Sabbath. And I'm not really interested in whether the Sabbath is Saturday or Sunday. It's Saturday for the Jews. For us, Sunday has become the day that we celebrate the risen Lord as a church And it is the day for most people, if their job allows it, that they they try to take some rest as well and have follow the rhythm of Sabbath. But we're not so much interested in what day it's on. Some people have to work on Sunday and they maybe take a rest some other time in the week and that's fine. And we're not really interested that much in what you can do or can't do on the day of rest. That's not the point, I don't think, of this passage. For Jewish people in the first century, the Sabbath was a marker. You were a person who every seventh day stopped. While other people were still going to the marketplace, you didn't go. 
While other people were still going about their business and trading and working and harvesting, you didn't. You stayed at home with your family and you celebrated God. You feasted and you rested and you remembered his work of creation. That's what the Sabbath was. It was a marker. And everyone you knew, everyone in your business circles, everyone in your neighborhood, your your circle of friends, whatever, everyone who you knew, knew you were a Jew because every seventh day you did this odd thing where you stopped and you did not engage in work. So the Sabbath was a really important thing and it's going to form the the sort of heart of what we're talking about today. Luke chapter 6 Let me read uh, verses 1 and 2 to get started. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the cornfields. And his disciples began to pick some ears of corn, rub them in their hands and eat the grain. Some of the Pharisees asked, why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Now, picture the scene. It's late August. And you're out for a walk, out for a walk with your family or your mates or whatever. Uh, it's a nice sort of sunny late August evening and you're in the countryside. And as you're walking up a lane in between the hedges, you see some really juicy blackberries. And you think, I'm going to have me a couple of those. And you go over and you pick off the, do you know when they're just right, they're about to explode, but they don't quite explode in your hand. And you pull off the blackberries and you scoff a few of them. And up from behind the heads jumps this group of fellas and say, we caught you working on a Sunday afternoon. It's comical. But this is what actually happened. What sort of people hide in cornfields on the Sabbath day, their only day off in the week, and they're hiding, trying to catch Jesus and his disciples doing something wrong. These guys are mad. They're totally mad. And I, you know, I don't know if you can paint the, the, the comedy of the scene, whether they were crawling around on the ground, hiding behind stuff, whether they were camouflaged and had like stuck grass to their head or something so that, so that Jesus and the disciples couldn't see them. It's just like a scene out of a cartoon as, as Jesus and, and the guys walk through the field. In the background, you're seeing stuff just moving around. And then Jesus turns around and everything stops. And then he goes on about his way and they start moving again. That's what the scene is like. It is comical. And they, they, they think, as far as they're concerned, Jesus has done and his disciples have actually broken four laws. All right. So, so they had this thing that you had to keep the Sabbath day and that was what God said in the Old Testament. But these guys were so serious about it that they created 39 things that you couldn't do on the Sabbath. And by lifting some corn and rubbing it and throwing away the, the, the chaff part of it and then eating, they've actually broken four of the 39 rules. They have reaped They have thrashed by rubbing it between their fingers. They have thrashed it. They have winnowed it by chucking away the the bit that they're not going to eat. And they have prepared food. (laughs) You pick a blackberry and you have broken four rules by picking a blackberry. Now, we would never do that, would we? We would never have little things. Because one of the things that I've thought about as I prepared this is how insidious religion is how it can sneak up on 
any of us, including me, a mindset can creep in. We would never have we things in our head that people can and cannot do, would we? We'd never have strange little ideas about body piercings or tattoos or particular types of clothing. We'd never have we sort of deeply held opinions about things like that that we would then hold against people who are slightly different from us. Or, or language, for example. I, one of the greatest stories that I heard when I was in Scotland just doing the Fords thing a couple of years ago, and unfortunately I can't quote this exactly as it was, but I would love to. But anyway, this, this guy was talking about a really difficult neighborhood in Glasgow where he was working in the recovery community with people that were addicted or were coming off heroin. And these two men in particular were coming into the church every Sunday afternoon and they were just doing this wee Bible study with a couple other guys in the church. And, the, and they came in one day and one of them said, and he just didn't know better, but there's something wonderful about it. He says, do you see this, Jesus? He's effing awesome. <laughs> and I just thought, that, you know, what, what do you hear there? Do you hear the bad language from a guy who's used to using it and hasn't quite got out of the way of it yet? Or do you hear someone who's just realizing that Jesus is incredible? What do you choose to hear? You don't overlook and you don't encourage something that, that's obscene and crude, but what do you choose to major on? And, and we need to be careful that we don't fall into the mindset of having little things that we just hold on to. Christians can't do that. You know, can't do that on a Sunday. You can't follow Jesus and, and behave that way. In, in Forge, we talked about a bounded set as opposed to a centered set. I don't know if I've ever spoke to you about this. I probably have. But to view church as a bounded set means there is a wall around Jesus and you're either in or you're out. I don't think that's a healthy way to look at it. To view church as a centered set where there is Jesus in the center and you're either moving towards him or you're moving away from him is a much healthier way, I think, to view church. So instead of putting a wall up and saying, you're out because you you don't look like me and you don't talk like me, you're out. You instead say, no, you're actually moving towards Jesus. There's lots of things that the Holy Spirit will work on over time, but you're actually moving towards Jesus and I'm going to celebrate that. So we need to be careful that we don't allow these things to, to become big issues in our thinking and in our judgments of other people. And these guys lurking, hiding in the field, be aware, folks, be really aware. If you choose to follow Jesus or to embark on something new for the kingdom, there will be Pharisees hiding in the hedges, behind the walls. There will be people watching from a distance who want you to fail. They want you to fail. And Jesus, these guys are just there, a constant thorn in his sight. And they, he says to them, which is you know, one of the most offensive things you could say to a Pharisee, he says, have you never read? <laughs> In other words, do you not read the word of God? Are you not familiar with the scriptures? Right now, their blood is boiling when he says that. Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He went into the house of God. He took the consecrated bread. He ate what is lawful only for priests to eat. And he gave some to his companions. So Jesus goes back 
wonderfully to an Old Testament story about David when David and his band of men are on the move and they've ran out of food and they go into the temple, into the tabernacle, into God's house and they take some of the bread off the table that was only there for the priests. Nobody else was allowed to eat it. And what David did was a breach of the law. And Jesus basically says to the Pharisees, are you going to criticize him for what he did? And he puts them in this tight fix where they either, if they're going to continue criticizing Jesus, they have to also criticize the great King David. And one of the things that Jesus is teaching here is that the law is only good so far as it preserves, promotes, guards life. If the law gets in the way of basic human needs, if the law gets in the way of compassion and looking after another person made in God's image, the law is superseded. The law goes down a peg and you show compassion and you promote and you preserve life. You see, the Pharisees had what you would call is a, I think, a faulty creation story. If you, I'm going to cheat here. We're doing Luke, but I'm going to pull in a wee bit from Mark. Is that all right? Yeah. Um, Jesus says to them, the Sabbath was made for people, not people for the Sabbath. Now, just dwell on this for a minute. The Sabbath was made for people. If you take the Pharisees' point of view and, and bring it backwards to creation, because they were obsessed with rules, obsessed with rules. And if you take their point of view and go back to creation, their creation story would have ran something like this, based on the way they lived. Their creation story would have been, in the beginning, God made rules. And up there in the sky, just floating around, were these rules. You shall keep Sabbath. And other various rules. And then after a while, it's almost as if God realized, here, I've got all these rules. I now need to make some people to keep the rules. And then he makes people to keep the rules. That's the Pharisees' understanding of creation. That's not what they would have said. But the way they lived where rules were more important than people, that is what they understood. God made rules and then people to keep the rules. And Jesus says, no, it's the other way around. The rules are made to keep people. The Pharisees were obsessed with Sabbath keeping. Jesus is obsessed with people keeping. God's law is not made in the image of God. People are made in the image of God. And the law was given to protect people, to protect life and preserve life and to promote life. And even in the way that Jesus says this, when you, when you look at it in the sort of original language that it's written in, this is the way it comes across. Sabbath for people, not people for Sabbath. And in Greek, in biblical literature, the way that is structured there with the word people in the middle means that's the focus. Jesus is saying, this is not about corn or blackberries or what you can do on a Sunday or a Saturday. This is about fundamentally, God is about people. He's not about rules. People are made in his image. People are what he wants us to show love for and be compassionate towards not keeping a bunch of rules. 
And if we start to use rules, as these Pharisees were doing, and you see it in John chapter 8 as well with the woman caught in adultery, and we're going to see it in a minute or two with a guy in a synagogue. If your keeping and your passion for the rules causes you then to beat up other people, you are utterly, utterly opposed to the heart of God. And this again, this is something that will happen in religion. And I know I'm continually hammering religion. I'm just being faithful to Luke. And when Luke stops hammering it, I'll stop hammering it. Religion causes people to take rules and beat others with the rules. Whereas God and the heart of God is the restoration of humanity. It's that people in his made, made in his image would live life to the full, full of the Holy Spirit, walking with God. Whereas if we get caught up in religion, we start to take stupid little things like how somebody speaks or what they consume or where they work, where they live, what their body looks like, and we start to beat them with those things. And God never intended for us to take rules and beat people with it. This is where trouble arises in churches whenever people watch to see if rules are being broken. And Jesus goes on to say to them then, the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Now this is huge. Because Sabbath, as I said earlier, Sabbath defined them. They were defined by the fact that they kept Sabbath. And also they went into exile. And the exile is going to come up here. And the exile is important. They went into exile in Babylon hundreds of years earlier. And they were in exile for 70 years. And one of the reasons they went into exile as a people was because they didn't keep Sabbath. And Jesus says... I am the Lord of the Sabbath. The Pharisees with our 39 rules were trying really hard and they were saying, we know why we went into exile and we're going to make sure that we don't mess up again and we're going to make sure that we don't uh, fail to keep Sabbath. And Jesus says, I'm going to redefine Sabbath. Sabbath is now going to be defined around me, not around your 39 rules. Is it cold in here? It's not cold in here. Well, that's all right. That's good. I thought it was cold. The second story in, a, in this little section happens on another Sabbath day. It might have been the next one or just vaguely a different Sabbath day. But on another Sabbath, Jesus went into the synagogue and he was teaching. And a man was there whose right hand was withered. Now, I want you to note that word withered. Some Bibles will say shriveled up, but the, the, the word is literally withered. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. Now, look at this again. Don't overlook it. This is what religion does. It causes these guys to go to the synagogue, the place where you will learn about God, understand his character, be with his people. These Pharisees go to the synagogue with the one intention. They're looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. Shame on me if I have ever gone to anything with the attitude of trying to find a fault. 
in someone who is just trying to promote the kingdom of God. I mean, we've got to absolutely root that attitude out of our lives completely and utterly. Because that is religion. And it doesn't matter whether you sing up-tempo music and you're in a different type of building. If you go to somewhere that you would declare to be a religious place and you go with the attitude of, oh, look at that, look at that. Would you believe, that? would you believe he said, if you have that attitude, religion is in your heart poisoning you and you don't even realize it. These guys go to synagogue just waiting for the moment that they've got something to criticize. And if you watch any human being long enough, even if it's somebody you really admire and really respect, you watch anyone closely long enough, you will find something to criticize. It is human nature. It's who we are. None of us are perfect. And these guys rock up to the synagogue wanting to criticize Jesus. Hard to believe that attitude would exist, isn't it? Like it's sick. In the old-fashioned way of the word sick, not in the sort of new, you know, sick in a negative sense. It is sick. What kind of person just goes to church watching and waiting for the mistake? And there's a man there with a withered hand. Big deal, the guy's got a sore hand, all right? He caught it in a piece of machinery or something, so what? No, it is actually a very, very big deal. One of the things that I have learned over the years, particularly in the Gospels, is that the Gospel writers could have recorded so many things about Jesus. In fact, John at the end of his Gospel says, if we were to write down all the stuff that this guy did, it would fill all the books in all the world. But they chose certain things. And I used to approach the Gospels and just think, well, it's just somebody keeping a diary of what Jesus did each day. He did this, and then he did that, and he went here, and he went there, and he said this. And what I've grown to learn over over the years is that they are very, very careful about what stories they record and what ones they leave out, about what order they put things in. And when, when Luke records about this guy with a withered hand, he's actually making a point that I've never noticed before in this story. The word withered is used a couple of times in the Old Testament. And it is used in the context. Now get this. And again, this is something I rabbit on about. But if you don't get it, you won't get Jesus. It is in the context of the exile. And if you hear me saying exile and you don't know what, what I'm talking about, get home and get a book about it. Get home and Google it. Or, or I'll do a week or two on it in the new year, what the exile actually was. But whenever God's people were in exile round about 5600 BC for 70 years in Babylon, one of the words that is used to describe their state and the state of the land is the word withered. In Jeremiah 12 verse 4, How long will the land lie parched and the grass in every field be withered? Now, it's not a word that occurs that often in the Old Testament, just in case you think it's on every page and I'm just picking the ones that suit me. It's not that common a word. In Hebrew, it's the word yavesh. The grass in the field, the land, because Israel was so tied up with the actual geographical, physical land, and the land is withered because those who live in it are wicked. 
And this is on the mouth of the exile. The land itself is withering. And then when you read Ezekiel, again, never seen this before. But in Ezekiel 37, that chapter that we all know about the dry bones, the word dry is the same word in Hebrew, yavesh. Say yavesh. Yavesh. It looks like yavesh, doesn't it? But in Hebrew, a B is like a V. That's why somebody called Abraham really should be called Avram. Do you remember Avram Grant? Anybody remember Avram Grant? Yeah, there you go. Just random, unnecessary football trivia for you there. The word means withered. The bones are withered. It's the same word and it's the same context. The people are in exile and they are withered. They're withered. So whenever Jesus, whenever Luke records about this guy with the withered hand in the synagogue, guess what, folks? It's not just Luke recording another party trick that Jesus did. It's very precisely, carefully rendered so that we will understand what Jesus is doing. He is ending the exile. And you've got to get excited about the exile being over. You really have got to. You've, you've missed so much about who Jesus is and what he's doing. He is at the heart of ending the exile. I told you a few, a few weeks ago that I want you to get into the way of thinking that when you hear a certain phrase, you always think end of exile. And the phrase was the forgiveness of sins. Israel went into exile because of failing to keep the Sabbath and for other reasons that we'll see in a wee minute. And Jesus brought them back out of exile because he forgave sins. And it is a monumental thing for the people of God to come back out of exile. And there's going to be a showdown. Jesus says to this guy, can you imagine being this fella? <laughs> you in the middle, stand up. <laughs> And all of a sudden, all eyes in the synagogue are on you and you're suddenly exceptionally conscious about your hand. You stand up and the air is just electric. And Jesus, again, don't don't misunderstand him. When he's he's in the cornfield and he's talking about the Sabbath, he's not just saying to them, oh, actually, if you go and read the Old Testament, you'll find that I am allowed to do this on the Sabbath day. He's not interested about nitpicking about what you can do or not do. It's bigger than that. It's I'm here for people. You're here for rules. Well, I'm here for people. And the same thing here. He's not healing this guy just to shut the Pharisees up to say, put that in your pipe and smoke it. He's going to heal a guy with a withered hand so that a withered nation can realize the exile is over. And the Pharisees aren't interested in the guy. Just like in John chapter 8 where a woman caught in adultery is brought to Jesus and she's thrown in the dirt in front of him, they don't care about her. They don't care about this guy either. The rules are more important and we will keep the rules even if it means that we're not keeping human beings who are made in the image of God. So we have this showdown in the the synagogue and, and Jesus says to them, here's the question. What's lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or evil, to save life or destroy it? How far have you strayed away from the heart of God if you think that keeping the Sabbath day means you don't do good? or you don't promote life on the Sabbath. And he says to the guy in verse 10, stretch out your hand. 
It's actually, it's interesting because when you, there's another person who stretches out their hand. We'll not go to it for the sake of time, but in, in 1 Kings 13, there's a king, a wicked king called Jeroboam, and he stretches out his hand against God's prophet, and his hand withers up as he stretches it out. And it's almost as if Jesus is reversing that. As, as the kings went pear-shaped, frankly, and moved closer and closer towards the exile, this stretching out of a hand against God's prophet caused a hand to be withered. And now Jesus comes and he causes a hand to be unwithered, if there's such a word. The exile's over. He's come with grace and he's come with forgiveness. And whenever the guy stretches out his hand, his hand is completely restored. Anybody in the house like the word restoration? Yes, indeed. Nigel there. Restoration. He stretches out his withered hand and his hand is restored. And in Mark, I've pulled in Mark again because you know, Luke tells us that he looks around and then says to the guy, stretch out your hand. Mark says he looks around in anger. <laughs> Jesus gets angry at this religious mindset that he finds among the Pharisees who are more concerned about the Sabbath than they are about the person. More concerned about the Sabbath than they are about this man. Jesus has compassion for him. And the heart you know, of, of what I want you to learn in this little story is that Jesus comes to restore. Now we know that because we talk about that a lot and we pray about that a lot. Jesus comes to bring restoration to human beings. In the synagogue on that day, he wants to restore this man. And this man actually is a picture of the nation of Israel and humanity in general, exiled from God, dried up and withered. Jesus wants to restore him. What's getting in the way? I don't see Satan getting in the way. (laughs) I don't see any demons piping up on this occasion. I don't see a pile of of Romans showing up and trying to shut it down. What's getting in the way of restoration is religion. Simple as that. What's getting in the way of restoration is religion. Lord, root every ounce of it out of my heart. And every time it comes and tries to sneak back in, show me it. Root it out again and again and again. Get rid of the mindset that we have in sort of newer, more modern, if that's the right word, it's not, but I can't think of another one, just in churches that are a bit new, a bit fresher, get rid of the idea that you're not religious and that other people in churches that are 100 years older are religious. That is wrong. That is completely wrong. Religion can creep into the heart anywhere and religion will prevent Jesus from restoring people from exile back into community. And then, as we finish, the Pharisees and teachers of the law were furious. And they began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. Again, Mark just gives us that a little bit more detail. They went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. The Pharisees had nothing to do with the Herodians. The Herodians were the supporters of Herod. The Herodians would have gone out on the street and caused a riot if Herod had lost an election. That's the sort of people the Herodians were, okay? And the Pharisees had nothing to do with them. But the thing that brought them together was that they both hated Jesus. 
and they go out. These guys just, just listen to the irony of it. The Lord of the Sabbath has healed a man on the Sabbath and the religious guys who are so fussy about keeping the Sabbath start to plot his death on the Sabbath. (laughs) The hypocrisy of it. Jesus has said just a few verses earlier, what did he say? What's lawful on the Sabbath? Because it's almost as if he knew what they were going to do. What's the Sabbath about? Is it about saving life? Or is it about destroying it? Is it about life or death? I wonder, did he know that as soon as he protected life on the Sabbath, they would go out on the Sabbath and begin to get to work on his death? Jesus is about restoration. They went into exile because they didn't keep the Sabbath. They went into exile as well because they didn't look after people. You read in the prophets who prophesied around the start of the exile, God's people weren't looking after the widows. They weren't looking after the orphans. They weren't looking after the oppressed. They were just grabbing land for themselves and getting greedier and richer. And they were failing to keep Sabbath. And they went into exile. And they haven't come back out. The Pharisees never came out of exile. They were still in exile in their hearts because they were not interested in the things that God was interested in. And it's always like this, moments in history when God wants to do a new act of restoration, the greatest hostility will come from religious people. There needs to be new wineskins. Chapter 5 ended with the wine, the new wine, and the need for new wineskins. And then chapter 6 starts off with, look what happens when the old wineskins come around Jesus. Really ugly. That refusal to become supple and flexible and be made new. There's a clash of kingdoms. Jesus is about restoration. Folks, guard your hearts. Guard your hearts. Be mindful of your attitudes. Be mindful of the things that cause you to look at other people and say, they're not in. Forget in and out, and let's start using the language of moving towards. Because there are a lot of people who who are within what we would call the church, but they're actually not moving towards Jesus. They're maybe moving away from him in their hearts and the way that they're behaving and living. But there are a lot of people that we would maybe say are the outcasts, the fringe people of society, And they're the ones who are moving in the right direction. Yeah? Let's pray.